What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hey, Look, Listen. This, of course, is a voice that you haven't heard in a while, but I am back from Safari, where I was with fellow podcaster Jonathan Morrissey. We, of course, went on a little pilgrimage with the monkeys. My name is Owner Reardon. Joining me for today's episode, longstanding host, the rock, the foundation of Hey, Look, Listen, Fiona Byrne. No, I'm just using my girlfriend's um, <laughs> laptop. I'm actually, it's actually me on, it's Liam. Oh, <laughs> Liam, it's been so long since I've seen you. Welcome you... back to the podcast, my friend. Are you the I busiest know. boy in all the world? I have been the busiest boy in all the world, but saying that, um, it's been really, really nice listening to you, um, yourself and um, Kev yeah. um, do, a, do a couple of episodes of... What's, what's really good about those, Liam, is they're games that I haven't played. Mm-hmm. And it's it carves out a certain niche of video game that we haven't spoke about on the podcast. Um, and whenever I hear you guys, and I've said this once, and I'll say it again, goddammit, is that every time you speak about a game, I feel like diving into it. That's very nice. Yeah, that's what, that's what I hope. You know, even if it's um, even if it's just you, I maybe I'll just start doing the episodes just directed at you. You know, <laughs> you can't do it in my head. I'll be like, oh, I'll say what Owen would like to hear. Oh, but Liam, that would negate the <laughs> 3,000 ears that we have assaulted over the last year with Hey, Look, Listen. <laughs> um, we've we've crossed the 3,000 download listener mark. So, oh, my God. Um, nice. Great achievement. Baby steps, a... baby steps. But it's, it's just so cool to see those people listening in general. I just, it just makes me happy. And of course, and like, you know, it's good for the people to know that we, of course, only get paid in like the low six figures for doing this podcast. Um, so, you know, but, oh, oh yeah, I, I got to cut you your check. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we appreciate everyone for hanging in there. We appreciate the new viewership that we have in a, a few episodes. We do this for you guys. We do it for us. You know, it's an opportunity for Liam and I to have a sit down. We haven't spoken to each other in about a month. Mm. Um, I'm seeing him here on my computer screen and he's my God, he's looking better than ever. I'm um, looking knackered. On. I'm so tired. <laughs> Do that thing when you're talking to someone on camera and you're just you're looking at yourself. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm just like, oh my god, the bags under my eyes today. Uh, to be fair, I was doing the same. Uh, mm. But before you got on uh, Google Meets, I was. I, I'm not. I'm generally not someone for bags underneath my eyes. But for and I got a good night's sleep last night. Um, but I too look knackered, but I don't feel knackered. I'm I'm ready for um, today's podcast, Liam. Tell me, catch me up on your life of uh, the world of video games. Have you been playing anything as of recent? I actually, I started playing, because um, you know, my, my 2022 obsession so far has been Bloodborne and Elden Ring. So I jumped on to Dark Souls because I wanted to play another From Software game. But you know what? I got a few hours in. I was actually loving it. But I was, you know what? I think playing, replaying these From, or sorry, playing these From Software games the first time, I actually want to make it a more gradual thing. My initial plan was to just, now that I'm into these games, to just gorge on them and play them all. But I want to do one every now and then and always have one to look forward to. So I actually put down Dark Souls. I want to. I don't want to play it. So I've been playing a couple of games. I played uh, played the game we're playing, played the game we're talking about today. I played another game that we talked about doing an episode on that we actually didn't actually get to do one. Um, um, maybe a bit of a hint for a future episode. I played Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, that yeah, was my we, fault. I, yeah, I yeah, actually, I know. You, I, I really oh, you mentioned me going, let's do an episode of Shadow Classes. And then like a week later, you're like, I don't have, I can't play it. I'm play, only playing games on handheld because of my go-go life on the Switch. I can't play Shadow of the Classes. But I played it. Uh, we might get that done someday. I'd love to do an episode on that. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's actually on my uh, 
to-do list. Do I have like a gaming to-do list? That game was only like, you know, on a replay, that game was only like four hours long. It's mega short. I know. That's part of, that's actually part of the reason why I wanted to, to, to play it again and do, do an episode on it. It was, uh, it, it's fitting my lifestyle right now because um, <laughs> as we were speaking about in the preamble before we hopped on air, life has just been so busy for me right now. We, uh, for, for the viewers who, who care, and I haven't told already, my fiance and I bought a house. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're doing some renovations to that. We'll be setting up the, uh, the gaming room downstairs, Liam, you know, the we'll podcast be, room, obviously the, yeah. the podcast room or the podcast for, chamber as we call it in the business. Oh, I'm learning all the terminology now. The podcast I do have dungeon underneath my stairs. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a uh, very idyllic. So you are right. It's, it's, I've had this craving for uh, pretty much anything on hand, handheld and yeah. You know, we're speaking about Grim Fandango today. People know because it's in the title mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the actual podcast. And unfortunately, I didn't get to finish it, um, okay. which, which was very annoying. So I feel like someone who's coming to class who doesn't have their homework done. But it also leads me to something else, Liam. And, and you know, we, I think we both go through periods where we fall into a bit of a funk. And I, I, Are you talking about like big existential things now or are you talking about gaming? You know, we, we we can take this this podcast. I mean, we, try to keep these, we try to keep these episodes light. You know, it's just about games that we like. You know, I've had this podcast described to me actually by a friend uh, as wholesome. She was saying I recommend it to people because I just find it very wholesome. To I don't. She's like I don't play video games, but I find it wholesome. To listen to you guys just talk about video games and kind of like <laughs> be friends. I thought it was very nice. It was a very nice thing to hear. <laughs> that is a very nice thing to hear. Um, do not listen to the Uncharted 4 episode where our good friend Jonathan Marcy spoke about the physics of a sexual organ as an advancement in technology. For <laughs> I don't think I edited that one. I haven't, if I haven't re-listened to it. <laughs> um, uh, it. It could be aligned with uh, a liquid. Um, let's just uh, oh, leave yeah. it there. Sorry, I did, actually I did edit that one and I made the decision to keep that in because it made me laugh again when I was listening to it. <laughs> He's such a rapscallion, that Jonathan. He Marsley. is, he is, and you know what? It's it's amazing. You know, uh, he's really enjoying his pilgrimage and um, uh, being on that safari. <laughs> but Look, you know, if, if they ever find his body, I'm going to tell him how good he was, how good he is at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of course, winner of the prestigious microphone award of 2021. That is Jonathan Morrissey. But Liam, I have been in somewhat of a a video game funk, sure. yeah, as, as of yeah. late. And it happens, right? Um, you know, um, we will keep it wholesome. And, you know, it, it's okay. Like, it, it happens many men. And it happens a lot of video game players. That you just go through this funk. And it's... Nothing satisfies you. <laughs> I, I'm, going to, I'm going to choose to believe that you're talking in metaphor and you're really trying to, like... Reach out to me here as a friend via the podcast. Oh, so funny. Well, of course, I am getting married and uh, this you year I'm very, married, very happy. House, video game funk. You have but all it, the telltale signs of, of a true adult now. But it's funny, right? We moved in with the in-laws and I have my PS5 downstairs that's still not hooked up since we moved in like uh, yeah. three months ago. Right. Um, and do you know what I find like during these funk phases is like you pick up a lot of... It's kind of like scrolling through Netflix and you watch the first five minutes of everything but you can never settle yeah 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 on one thing um and that that's actually 
um, kind of what brought me to to Grim Fandango. It was, you know, my my history with this game. The to to dive into the game as a topic um, goes back, you know, to the beginning of of release ninety seven, ninety eight. I don't think I it was ninety eight. Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. Bollocks. Um, no, it was ninety eight, Liam. Um, well, so <laughs> oh, you know, Kev never does this to me when I record a moment with him. I'm just. I'm in charge of the podcast when he's doing it, and I, and I don't make mistakes. <laughs> well, he's got to earn his stripes. Is <laughs> is the big thing? Um, but uh, I think on last week's episode, you officially welcomed him to uh, the podcast, and yeah, I, I did. I just stopped listening after that point. To be honest, with you were like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> Hold on, I'm, you're like, I'm off getting married, and he's making hires. <laughs> Serious business operation that we're running, but Liam Grim Fandango is kind of like. Um, comfort food for me. Yeah, I have this really nostalgic memory for the game from when I first played it at my my cousin's house because it was a, a PC exclusive um, up until like four years ago, five years ago, I think, uh, with with the remaster. So I have this really like fond memory of it back from when I was younger, and then I have fonder memories of it because. It's a really interesting case study when it comes to um, preservation, video game preservation, because, you know, it it was of the era where um, it came out on physical disc and they only printed so many copies and then it didn't go to digital stores. So um, if you didn't have the disc, you couldn't play it. And then it came a certain point in time where computers had advanced so much that even if you had the physical disc, it, you still couldn't. You actually couldn't play it because. Yeah, I went it, through. I went through that phase of a certain a certain time when I wanted to replay a lot of PC games that I loved, uh, mainly point and click adventure games because that they were my. I was I was mainly a console gamer. Um, if I was playing a game on a PC, it was largely to play the LucasArts adventure games and other ones. But I just I yeah I remember kind of a phase when I was a bit of an older kid, like going, I can't play these games anymore, and it was such a weird feeling at the time. Like and then you'd have to almost em- emulating them illegally was easier. I-, I I owned all the physical games, and there's still one. Um, if you ever played Discworld Noir, which is a very underrated. I know it. Like, I haven't played it, but I know it's it. Very good, actually. Main character is voiced by Rob Brydon, really randomly before he was properly famous. Anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I cannot play. I could not play that game ever, ever anymore. It's like my disc. Like no computer is like uh, it will all they're too all too new to run it. And I remember it happening to Grim Fandango as well. And uh, I, 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 I have the original Grim Fandango. It come, came in the big PC shoebox kind of size yeah. things. And yeah. it had two discs, and you had to change the disc back and forth twice in that game. You had to go from disc two back to disc one to disc two again. One of my best memories is actually I was with Marcy, and we were downtown uh, Limerick, of course. And and again, this is why it's a bit of comfort for me, food for me, because I have so many. I just have so many good memories about that game. Um, and the stories around it is that we were in a, uh, it was uh, like an Oxford um, charity shop. And ran- randomly, I'd say it's like the only, make me fucking sound bad now, but it's like one of the only charity shops that I've ever been to. And I go over to this fucking video game section and there's a physical copy of Grim yeah. Fandango. And this is, this is maybe six to eight years post it not being printed anymore. Yeah. That's such a cool find, and I it, oh my god, it was like you could probably sell that thing on eBay straight away for mm. you know 
a hundred bucks. But then uh, it's I ran into the the issue of not being able to play it. And you know what's 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 really cool, and we'll speak about it with the remasters. It's the community and it's the fans that actually kept this game alive because you could play it, but you essentially had to download a whole load of cracks that weren't official and people um up to, like the community updated that game they mm-hmm. updated the control scheme um everything like that act- and they fixed bugs in the game and when they remastered this game in 2017 ish they actually brought in uh, i believe a couple of those people to work on the game because they did such a good job well yeah i i, I like being i like waxing lyrical about the, the old times and uh this whole kind of thing about um, <laughs> PC games versus console games, and you know, I did a lot. There was a lot of um, arguments at the time, and like very valid of a lot of games that just controls better on PC, like first-person shooters, obviously, and stuff like that with the mouse controls and stuff like that. But Grim Fandango, one of like a, the classic point-and-click adventure games from the PC uh, back in nineteen ninety-eight, it controlled like shit. Yeah, it controlled like <laughs> garbage, and I never <laughs> liked the control scheme of the game. Uh, like even compared compared to older LucasArts adventure games, which were so kind of you know, point and click, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, it was, they were so user friendly when they tried to make it 3D. Uh, the control scheme was just bad, but like you kind of fought through it because the rest of the game was so amazing. So and like the, the, the writing, the art stuff. But I played this now on the PS4. I played for the, for this episode. I replayed it on um uh, the, the remastered one, and I was just like, oh my god, it controls so much better. It's like it's night and day, but my girlfriend tried to play this game a year ago and she she really liked it. She really liked the story, liked the writing, but she quit the game because she was like, it controls like shit. And I was like, if you think this version controls like shit, you should play the original version. It was so much worse. It had kind of Resident Evil-ish tank controls. Yep. Yeah, and it was just, it was so hard to like, even just maneuver Manny around an environment. But, you know, that's just, that, that's that's like one of my only negative, real negatives about the game. Like, it's just, you got to fight the controls back in the day. So Liam, if, what's your... For someone who's never heard of Grim Fandango or played Grim Fandango, what's what's your elevator pitch for for this game? Well, it's um it's a point to click adventure game, so it's uh solving puzzles, talking to characters, uh it's it's you know it's very much of the pedigree of LucasArts. It's the second last one they ever made, I believe. So, but what one of the main differences is that they went for three D graphics this time, and you played it with a keyboard rather than uh, clicking on things with a mouse. And your character Manny Calavera, he Rather than like hovering your mouse over an item to see what it is, he kind of looks at things in the environment with he with his, you know, he turns his head and then you can choose to examine them or interact with them. But it's um, one of the most like unique settings and stories like ever in a video game. It's it's set in the land of the dead, and you and everyone are everyone has skeletons, and uh, you play as Manny Calavera, who is um, a travel agent. Travel he's, agent. He's, he's trying to work. He's trying to work off his time um, to pass on you because because. This land of the dead is sort of like purgatory. There's um, a, a better afterlife to move on to, and depending on how good a life you live before you died, you can uh, you could be eligible for better ways to travel across this land of the dead. So Manny basically goes to the real world. He as a dress up as a Grim Reaper. He brings people who've just died into the land of the dead, and he sees what they're qualified for, what travel packages he can sell them, which ranges from something the, the getting a ticket on the number nine, which is a train that will bring people to the, the ninth underworld it's called in in four minutes or the worse off they can get a, just handed a walking stick and they have to walk across the land of the dead or they can get a car and it's about he realizes that there's a, a corrupt chain of command in um 
the Department of Dead, the DOD, yeah, the people, the, the people who are selling these travel packages, they're corrupt and they're stealing good people's tickets on the number nine and they're selling them. So it's it's, it's actually the the whole idea of this game is that in this land of dead, if you, if you live the bad life, it's supposed to be a four year pilgrimage to get across the land of the dead on foot. And the game actually is set over four years, and it's Manny kind of traveling. He's traveling after this girl called Meche who lived Mercedes. a good life as a saint, but she had a uh, she had her tickets stolen from her and he's trying to kind of make up for that. And there's four different chapters of the game, different four different years of Manny's life on this kind of adventure he goes on. And it, like in, t- in terms of tone, it kind of jumps genre almost each year. Like one time he's a captain of a ship, one time he's the older, owner of a nightclub and stuff like that. I don't think you know the definition of a elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this game. I swear to God, I can... I, I'm not going to do it. It's not like... I. I I can. I was playing this game um, a few weeks ago, and I can say the opening of it, like it's it's in my brain. Just point to like all the things I don't know in life. The opening, all every single line of dialogue for the opening of Grim Fandango is in my brain because I used to play this game over and over again when I was a kid. It's kind of up there with like Monkey Island Two and Monkey Island Three and Day of the Tentacle. These were the LucasArts adventure games that were my favorite ones. Where even if you you finish the game once, you know all the puzzles. But I didn't care when I was a kid. I just liked playing this game over and over again. Yeah, the well, lines, you know, the lines of dialogue are jammed in my head. It's buried. for for the game that uh, that was released in 1998, and we we we've covered um, a lot of these games already on the podcast, Liam. But Ocarina of Time was released that year. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid was released that year. Mm-hmm. Half Life was released that year. Grim Fandango was released that year, and whether you agree or not, but to to help show the caliber of what um, critics and a small niche audience thought of this game. Uh, GameSpot.com actually gave Grim Fandango its uh, game of the year Mm. in 1998 against all of those other masterpieces. Yeah, it's odd. But you see, I actually think Grim Fandango has a couple of proper flaws that that we need to kind of dig into a little bit just in terms of its game design. But I can imagine... I didn't have to imagine. I, I was I was a kid. I I, remember, I played this game when it came out. But as you know, someone who was working as a critic at the time, I can't imagine finding it extremely exciting, just in terms of you know how the, the how strong the writing was, how completely unique the world of of that game is. I wouldn't necessarily agree as much as I adore it. I wouldn't give it my game of the year of nineteen ninety eight. But that is like the strongest pedigree you could be up against. You know. And just to you know, just to clarify for for you and everyone, it holds that special place in my heart as well. I don't have the 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 memory that you do, you fiend. Um, but I just have such fond memories of, of of this game, and it for me being so close to Monkey Island Three and uh, the Curse of Monkey Island, yep. and that's that's probably my favorite point and click uh, adventure game of all of of all time um art style of course has the famous um canon of manny calavera showing up in the curse of monkey island that's um, how i think i think i've told the story in the podcast before but who cares no one's going to remember but that's literally i was playing monkey island 3 uh when it came out uh, over and over again because i adored monkey Island 3 monkey Island 3 was my gateway into this genre it's the first mm-hmm. one i ever played and uh yeah you find you find a dead skeleton in a, in a restaurant uh, who looks like the main character of, of Grimfandango, Manny Calavera, but this was before Grimfandango came out, and he's wearing a badge that you can examine, and, and Guybrush says, 
It says, ask me about Grim Fandango. And uh, that's actually kind of a callback because in the original Monkey Island, uh, Secret of Monkey Island, there's the same thing. There's a pirate sitting at a bar and he's wearing a badge saying, ask me about Loom. And Loom is another point-and-click adventure game from LucasArts that's coming out. So it's not the only time that Monkey Island has done this. Just have a character wearing a badge that's advertising and the next LucasArts game. But I remember flipping through CVG magazine then, which was the gaming magazine that my brother used to collect. And there was a one-page preview of the, of this game with skeletons in it. And I just I was just looking at it. It wasn't particularly interesting. I just noticed the title, Grim Fandango. And I was like, I played Monkey Island 3 a hundred times. I was just like, Grim Fandango? Because I didn't realize it was a game. And that was it. I was obsessed with it then. And I was following it. And I asked it for, for Christmas when it, when it came out then. Yeah, you know. Uh, and it's, it wasn't a huge seller. Like it was, no. it was like it was pretty niche. Uh, the, the genre was kind of falling out of popularity at the time, um, and Lucas Arts were kind of pivoting more towards like making just Star Wars games. Uh, I think in a perfect world, we would have lived in a wonderful world where where they balanced their point and click adventure games and their Star Wars games, and everyone would have been happy. But I, I, I'm just saying, like not in a kind of um, wanky way, but I don't. Th- I think there was few children who were opening Grim Fandango that year for Christmas, you know. But I yeah. was one of them, and I was super excited for it. It's 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 an interesting one because for such an incredible game um, from such a prestigious studio, it was also you know and won, won X amount of awards um, and was you know a critical darling. Um, commercially, it took years for it to make its money back. Yeah, and people say that it's um, it's actually the evidence that's used that that kills the adventure. Advent, adventure, adventure game. That it kills the adventure games. That it's yeah. commercial, you know, quote unquote failure. Um, uh, they were on their way out, and this, like I said, it was the, just going off Lucas Arts. It was their second last one. Um, they made it. They made a fourth Monkey Island game after it, which took the control scheme and kind of refined it a tiny bit, but still kind of controlled it. Did bit, they? I, I, I thought was it Telltale Games who did that one though, or was it Lucas? No, they, Lucas Arts made Escape from Monkey Island. And Telltale Games, about nine years later, would make Tales from Monkey Island. Yes. Yeah, so there was... Um, Monkey Island 4 is kind of often forgotten, but it was the last one. And it came out a year, I think, or two years after Grim Fandango did. They were like, Grim Fandango, it's so funny, because if you, if you look at people online, if you go hang around communities of, um, of LucasArts Adventure Games or whatever, it is hugely beloved like despite the fact you said it could be one of like the, the the main factors of kind of killing the genre or at least killing it until it kind of had a resurgence through indie games like years mm-hmm. years later and stuff like that and the genre is kind of back now and we're now on we're getting another official monkey island game which is insane yeah <laughs> which is absolutely i'm so excited but um yeah but like it's so beloved that it's so it's so funny to have that kind of uh idea that oh it, it's one of the most crowned examples of the genre but it kind of killed it as well <laughs> one, uh, one yeah. time it's an odd one it's an odd one it is an odd one you know it's it's one of i think part of the reason why it's comfort food for me and i've you know learning this about myself and it, it's applicable across different um different forms of of media is what is a world that i like to live in yeah and I don't mean visit. Phys- I'd hate to live in the fucking land of the dead, but it's it's. I, I'd like to escape to that world. So, like, you know, I often say, you know, my two favorite television shows of all time, uh, Lost and Twin Peaks, and I find something incredibly comforting being in the world of Twin Peaks, which is why I revisit it so much. Mm. Um, and when it comes to video games, it is it is the the land of the dead. It is 
arguably one of the most realized you know worlds that exists in in the medium in my opinion with a great albeit uh you know the inspiration comes from everywhere i'm looking at you casablanca um, like and I, I was a kid who didn't i i knew grim Fandango before i knew casablanca like you know it happens a lot you know i i, I saw a lot of movie references from simpsons before i would have seen the movie but yeah, I, I was quite young playing Grim Fandango, so a lot of its influences were lost to me. So a lot of things I grew up going like, oh, it's like Grim Fandango. I didn't even know what Dea de los Muertos was, you mm. know, the Mexican Day of the yeah. Dead. I didn't know it was influence. I didn't know all the characters were based off the kind of um, Calavera, as they're called, which is uh, the namesake of its main character, the kind of the, the skeletons and the art style. And and like you said, like the second chapter of that game where Manny is a casino owner uh, is the style, the look of him, the tuxedo he's wearing, the kind of, it's very much based on noir yeah. cinema and Casablanca as well. It's pretty much, yeah, it's, it's, he almost identically looks like Humphrey Bogart. And yeah, yeah. I think Tim Schafer <laughs> has openly spoken about how he like had stolen specific characters in the casino hmm. um, for that year two. It is year, year two. two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second year, yeah. Um, so Liam, you, you mentioned, you know, we've we've sang some praises and we'll dive deeper into a couple of things, but in terms of design flaws, and you said there was a couple of them. Yeah, there is, yeah. In in your opinion, you know, wh- what are those? So I do see this could be nitpicking because I really love the genre. I love um I love how, how these games are formed puzzle wise. And I did an episode on Monkey Island 2. Which was great. Where... Everyone go check that out, please. Yeah, where I literally just went, look, this is just me. This is one of my favorite games. So I'm going I'm to go through this step by step and just nitpick the puzzles and how you could um, and I, how you could kind of maybe, you know, improve some of them. And I had that in mind while I was doing my replay of Grim Fandango because if if sometimes when you play a game so many times, you can just take it for granted. For this time, I actually want to, I want to sit back and actually kind of think about what I'm doing and how this game is structured. And I'm going to take this second year as an example, mm-hmm. which is set in the city of Rubicava. And it's, a, po- uh, a port town. Yeah, Manny has been there for a year. He's waiting for that lady Meche to pass through, and as he's there, he he's he, he started working uh, mopping the floor in this place. But he's uh, a year passes now. He's bought, and he's a casino owner. And it's such a masterpiece of world building and writing. Uh, on Rubicava is one of my favorite gaming settings of all time. It's vast. It's really big. It's kind of complex. But because Manny's been living in that city for a year. He like you're not meeting characters for the first time. There's a history that he has with all the characters yeah, you're meeting. Totally agree. And it's so it's so kind of well, um, yeah. It's like you, you don't even need any flashbacks or anything. They're all so well written that you know there's kind of a, like a history there. Like I said, and the kind of um, the puzzle quest line that you're doing in Rubicava is um, you, the girl Meche finally passes through, but um, one of the villains Domino takes her on a ship. And Manny needs to get on a ship that night and follow her. And the only ship he can get on, he needs to, in order to get on, and he needs to get a, a, a maritime union card. Correct. He needs to um, get some tools for get some tools for his buddy Glottis, who's um uh, so he can work as a mechanic. And he needs uh, to take uh, one of the crew owners' place on board that ship. And that's fine. That's classic laundry list. Here's the here's the things you have to do. And it is challenging as hell because Rubicava is so vast. And after you, you you know the four things you have to do, it's still quite difficult to kind of figure it out. And on one side of the coin, on, I think one of the big negatives is that there is just a handful of bullshit puzzles in Grim Fandango yep. that are just too difficult, man. Too obtuse. But replaying it now, what's actually its biggest problem? And I think Rubicava still stands as this masterpiece. It just has this one fatal flaw where 
the puzzle lines are so clever, but it, the game does a bad job of telling you exactly why you're doing this thing. There's a brilliant bit of business in, in that whole chapter where uh, one of Manny's uh, friends, Lola, has taken fo- has taken incriminating photo a of photo this of, cor- yeah. cor- corrupt lawyer called Nick kissing a girl and cheating on cheating on um, who's actually voiced Liam by Irishman Dara O'Malley, who was <laughs> in uh, Bruce Robinson's Wit Nail and I. <laughs> wow, I love it. <laughs> I knew you had an Irish accent to write. I didn't know. <laughs> there you but go. Anyways, but there's just this whole bit of business where you have to find this photograph that has this uh, lawyer uh, um, cheating. Yeah. Uh, I was getting with his boss's girlfriend, and his boss is the owner of the local cat track. He's like a cat track being like a racehorse track in this world. And like I said, the the history of this world and the the, the established characters of this town is so vivid. But exactly why you need to find this photograph you need to follow a really complex quest line to get this photograph is just not explained well enough if i was playing the game going i need to do this so i can get this and this is how i get the tools this is how i do this it'll be so much better could you end up just kind of wandering around and kind of stumbling into some puzzle solutions and i just think if that if that whole section of the game had a better spine of it telling you exactly why you need to do these things it would probably stand up as the best section of a point-and-click adventure game i've ever played and it, it almost is already just because Rubikava is so like well drawn, but the quest line is too vague, and it's not as fun to kind of solve puzzles uh, because you're looking for something to do. It's more fun to kind of know exactly why you're trying to do these things. Yeah, and it and, really you know, stood out to me when I played it this time. I was like, I don't know. I, I, as someone who's played this game a hundred times, I'm not quite sure what started me on this quest line. Like, why? Why do I need to do this to get on? What, what part of doing this gets me on the ship? You know, it's just a little bit too vague. No, you're you're hundred percent correct. Um, because I think that even that conversation that happens when Lola, when Nick comes out of her office, is a bit random. Yeah, and I, and I think that's how the entire thing starts. You know, my I I think I've said it before. I just have a, I have a love hate relationship with with Rubicaba. Um, yeah. I I think some of my hate towards it is also down to some of the gameplay mechanics. It's it's Rubicaba is a bigger area with different subsections and transversing between those sections can take a while yeah um you know what what i actually love about the opening section is you know all in all you're maybe looking at like 10 different screens yeah it's pretty small you know it's pretty small um every everything to a degree is logical nothing is too far um out there but definitely when it came to rubicava i think when 100 when i was younger it was the scale of of rubicava that i was like it felt like i was there for hours upon hours oh, i was as a kid like uh this was before i don't think and this might have been late even for other people other families in ireland but i don't think we had like an internet connection when no. when grim Fandango came out so there was no when me and my brother were playing this game there was no going to the internet to look things up i was just stuck until I until we solved the puzzle, you know, and so I I do like I'm a, it could have been weeks or months of just kind of going on playing that game and hoping I solve puzzle. Another part of it, it's not really a criticism towards the game, but I played this game when I was around ten, and you know, playing like Monkey yeah. Island before that, Guybrush needs to get um, a map, a ship, and a crew to go to this island. A ten year as a ten year old, I can understand that. Manny Calavera needs to get a counterfeit maritime <laughs> union card. I don't think I was really <laughs> understanding exactly what I was trying to do. A hundred percent. So, and it, and this is like it's 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 a flaw, but it's also it's also why it's fantastic. Which yeah. is um, what 
the game does in terms of providing you the information the attention span that's required as a yeah. kid versus you know the half-grown adults that we are now <laughs> is what might seem trivial is actually important yeah you know so as in your um the conversations that Manny is having with all of these fully fledged characters, by the way, and I think you're hundred percent correct, Liam, the beauty of this game is the, like, it's the characterization. It's and the, the, voice, pre- and the, the voice actors give him such life as Man, well. It's, the, the, it, the, it the, like. the pre-established history that, that yeah. these people have. Um, it's, it's incredible. And I forget her, I forget her name. Um, but like the, the security uh, guard who's up just before the VIP room, um, Carla, and you, yeah, Carla, and you get the metal, the metal detector. You need from, to flirt yeah. with her to get the metal detector. But she goes on <laughs> on a spiel for about five minutes, <laughs> yeah. and you know it's it's like uh, my younger self would not have paid attention to that because I probably <laughs> wouldn't have appreciated it. But like all the answers to a certain degree, without thinking way too far outside the box, are in those conversations. But those conversations require your attention. Yeah. And I do, I said this when I was doing Monkey Island 2 as well, where I do think if an important piece of information in order to solve a puzzle is in one of these games, I I like to err on the side of saying it should have a lot of emphasis on it and it should never disappear from a a dialogue tree. If something is, is, is necessary to solve a puzzle, you should be able to get a character to repeat it. I think maybe that's, that's maybe some people prefer their point of click adventure games like a little bit harder and like, you know, but Grim Fandango for me, is a little bit too hard to discern what's important and what's not and sometimes it's great there's a really good early puzzle like one of the best one of the simplest puzzles in the game when you need to get manny to um he's trying to hire um a demon named gladys to be his driver yep and he needs he uh, and he, he needs you need to sign um this work form so that he can officially do it and it's all established you talk to your boss's secretary he, the secretary goes on the phone and the boss says i, I don't I'm, I, don't disturb me right now but if you go around the window and climb through the window the office is empty and he has fake automated messages on his computer that's answering the phone and you just look through them and one of them says ah sign it yourself will you that's an a plus puzzle and you can gather the information you need to do that through like pretty easily and it's all very clear but in rubicava you have like 50 screens you have like 30 characters and how to sift through the information that's important to solve yeah. these puzzles is a little bit too difficult uh, sometimes. And it's easier to appreciate after I know the puzzles. Oh, here's a clue to do this. I love some of the puzzle lines in Rubikov. I love pretending that, because really odd detail in this world, because they're skeletons, they can't really die by natural means. But one means they can they die is they, they get sprouted, which means they get shot by these bullets that make flowers, flowers bloom, grow yeah, all yeah. over them. So there's a brilliant puzzle where you have to... Um, convince the boat captain that a sailor is dead he got that uh, is dead and you, you do that by throwing his dog tags into um a, fl- a flower laden corpse at the morgue and then you give the morgue guy a metal detector so he finds the dog tags and then he calls and that is brilliant puzzle design and i'm not even leaving out details how you get the dog tag is even good you got to make a guy pass out when he's getting a tattoo <laughs> great stuff it's just it's like there's some some of the puzzles in Rubikava are completely clear on some of them and a lot mostly around getting that photograph with the incriminating kiss yeah. on it like I talked about some of them are like are way too complicated you need to oh you need to get a betting stub ticket at one point to um that uh, that was what stopped uh, stopped oh me my, as yeah a there's child. a photo hidden in a betting stub ticket place and you need to give an exact date to and that, um, and that's the thing right a lot yeah. of the like the dates are there but mm-hmm. there's no um 
there's no shimmering shine on on <laughs> uh, like a key item to tell you that this is it's like our because I think part of it is remembering the date that like the last great cat ran and it's just this whole thing in in the museum and yeah. it would be it would it would come across as completely trivial because it's just like okay Manny's looking at this and you know you can inspect it and he just reads off something but yeah but even if the game said if it gave a clear indication that the clue to getting this photograph it, it might be hidden in this uh, betting stub place and you need to give an exact date and it kind of does do that but it's so vague i would like i would like if if you go oh my god okay it must be hidden in an i might have to give an exact date to this uh, guy at the counter then finding the clues of the exact date and then going back into that museum and uh um uh, examining that plaque and getting the date the cat died and stuff like that that'd be great that would be great it's just too vague man and it's too hard yeah well you know it's again i'll go back to i think it's a it's a plus and a minus a positive and a negative but in terms of how the puzzles are tied to the plot and the subplots and the relationships it's not a it's not a collectathon and then throw shit against the wall to see what co- no, combination no, no. of items combine. No, yeah, there's negatives I can throw at this game, but not that's not one of them. It's more thoughtful than that. If you were to have another uh, criticism, Liam? Well, there's some puzzles throughout the game that are less uh, kind of uh, inventory item related. They're more kind of uh, mechanical puzzles to solve. And some of them are neato. There's a really fun one where um, you're on, it's in the third year where he's a boat captain and you need to... <laughs> you need to wrap a pair of anchors around a ship and then cut the ship in half with the anchors. I think that's really fun. Uh, some, uh, but uh, again, doing, doing some of these puzzles just to kind of, um, not really the UI, but how the kind of, uh, how these puzzles are to kind of depicted on screen kind of make them more difficult. It's kind of more, in that, in that puzzle, you need to move a ship around to get the anchors that are attached to the ship in certain positions below the ship. Yes. And it, it's not conveyed well how you're moving the ship, but there's one puzzle like in terms of these mechanical puzzles where you have to push a wheelbarrow along pipes. And I didn't know how to do that puzzle until I played it this time. I would really? Go, I, would, I would play that game as a kid and just move the wheelbarrow on these pipes, not knowing what I was doing. I always thought it was so unclear. And now with my adult-ass brain, I finally noticed it this time. I was like, oh, you're blocked because they're attached to this machine that's um, pumping um, marrow out of trees because this is the type of game that is. And you're and you're trying to time the the pumps on the tree so only half of them oh i can't even explain it without visual aids man but i finally saw there's, it. I there's was like, four this... pumps on essentially like a big electrical tower and there's there's the four pumps are running along the ground so the if you apply pressure i.e put something heavy on one of the pumps it'll change the trajectory of what's being pumped on on the um uh, essentially the big the, the big post right so the idea is you want to knock the post and you gotta sink them, right? Isn't that? Yeah, you gotta you gotta sink them so they're shaking the tree as violently as possible. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I all all my years of replaying Griffin Angle was just like I'm just gonna move this wheelbarrow on these pipes until this puzzle is solved. <laughs> I find I just found my I, I, I finally saw what I was doing. And that's funny because like when I was younger, it was those stupid ones that my stupid brain obviously got. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I wouldn't even it's, call them stupid. They're just I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, there's a nightmare of one in Rubicava which could have been a brilliant puzzle where you've been told there's this place called the High Rollers Lounge and you've been yeah. told that this guy, Chow Chilla Charlie, I love the names of the characters in this game as well, uh, his his suitcase full of money has been stolen and you need to get it back for him and then he'll give you a counterfeit Maritime Union card. Great. And he's, you know it's in the basement of this place and there's an elevator down to the basement. Great. But the puzzle is to 
drive a forklift into the lift and it's actually a hidden room between the floors and you need to drive the forklift into the wall as the lift is going down and then it jams into a door that's halfway through and then you can um open the door that way that is dastardly that is so difficult to spot i thought i remember i remember as a kid when me and my brother finally solved that puzzle we weren't even happy we were just like that is fucking that's so difficult is that one of the ones you find you thought was okay no no <laughs> I just think uh, that's too much for these games, man. That's like too hard. Personally, what actually I do anyway. got me where, uh, and it made me stop playing mm. was I, I fucking I didn't even get to it during my 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 replay. Yeah, um, it was the vault. Vault. I don't know if you remember the vault, and there was some four code sequence to this big vault. Um, I think it's in year three. Is it the one where you have to turn you you have to rip open? Um, you have to rip open this part of a door and you got to turn these dials until they're... Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, I hated that when I was a kid and I found it hard this time as well. Anything with dials. <laughs> I'm, I, my, my brain doesn't work that way. You know, I was playing... Uh, when I was back in Ireland, I was playing Animusha. And, oh, yes, uh, you were. Yeah, sent me a picture. photo. I was like, is that yeah. Animusha? You <laughs> just sent me Animusha. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the puzzles of, you know, moving around the jigsaw pieces until everything lines up. Mm. Fucking hate them. I st- and I stopped playing them. Uh, Animusha just because of that puzzle well for me per- personally I tend to prefer the more inventory type puzzles uh, using an item in a cartoony way to solve this puzzle getting getting hints and, and world building from characters than those puzzles that are literally okay you're just here until you solve this puzzle and it's kind of more mechanically minded mm-hmm. uh, I think Grim Fandango is at its worst when it does those puzzles and it actually does puzzles like that more than your usual LucasArts Adventure game yeah I wonder, is it a Tim Schafer thing? Could be a Tim Schafer thing, but Tim Schafer, uh, who's one of my gaming heroes, by the way, uh, he, you know, we've talked about him before, he went on to make Psychonauts, yada yada. But Tim Schafer worked on you know, the Monkey Island games first. He were, he He's the lead designer on Day of the Tentacle, and Day of the Tentacle doesn't have any of those, so I don't know. Yeah, full it's, Throttle. You know, well. I've never played either Full Throttle or Day of Tentacle. Full Throttle, I- full throttle is great, it's actually, but weird enough, I tried to, to play as many fucking LucasArts adventure games as I could. I didn't grow up with Full Throttle. I played it when I was older. Dave the Tentacle might be, genuinely might be my favorite LucasArts adventure game. Really? It's so good in terms of just... And I, like, I prefer the world of Grim Fandango. I prefer uh, Monkey Island because I love Monkey Island. I love, uh, I love those games. But I actually think just on paper, the puzzle tree, whatever you want to call it, the puzzles in... Day of the Tentacle, I think, might be the cleanest, best designed. But, you know, it depends on what day I wake up on. I might change my mind on that. So where does Grim Fandango sit right now, Liam, for you? I would, I would put, if I was ranking LucasArts Adventure Games, I would put it, like, I prefer Monkey Island 2, Monkey Island 3, Day of the Tentacle, and then I think Grim Fandango's next. Yeah, I prefer it, like, more than... I was listing old 90s adventure games now. Sam and Max hit the road, Monkey Island 1, Full Throttle. I just think it's like it's it's flawed, but it's um still one of my favorites. Have you ever played um you ever played The Dig or heard of The Dig? No. It's one of the lesser known ones, LucasArts. I'm, I'm Googling games. now in the background. Yeah, Google, have, a, have a cheeky Google. But the oh. thing with The Dig, The Dig was actually planned to be um a Steven Spielberg movie. Right uh, or something okay. was attached to it. It was going to be a movie, but it ended up falling through. So the concept was given to uh, LucasArts, and they made a game out of it. And I didn't grow up with this. I played it when I was I played it when I was an adult. I was played at a time when I was trying to rediscover a bunch of games from that company that I missed. And I swear to God, in terms of atmosphere and writing, the dig is such 
a fucking masterpiece. It's like I, I used to put it on in bed. I used to put on long plays of it on YouTube because it's so calming to listen to. There's something about the music. And the main character is voiced by um oh man, what's the who's the T one thousand? In Terminator oh, Two? Patrick? Sean Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The main character Sean the main character is voiced by him and uh he's just like so atypical for that type of game and it's such a calming game. It's about a bunch of astronauts who uh Robert um, Patrick. Robert Patrick. It's about a bunch of astronauts who um, are, are planting explosives on an asteroid to blow it up, but then they end up getting a portal to this alien world. And it's about and it's and it, anyway. But playing that game years later, I love everything about it in terms of writing, in terms of atmosphere. I hated it as a video game. Right, I hated. It. I hated the puzzles in it because you're all you're picking up is like crystals. It's very like mist. And Myst is um, a beloved game, but Myst is kind yeah. of on the opposite side of the coin of what I enjoy about uh, uh, puzzle adventure games. It's actually, it, Myst, uh, now that I think about it, is almost the pioneer of the walking simulator to a certain Yeah, degree. exactly. <laughs> but Myst's puzzles are all very kind of, you know, very uh, pull the switch and it makes this mechanism move. And it's all, like you said, it's more the mechanical stuff. And I'm just, I'm just going on about the dig, but the dig has all these puzzles that are... You have uh, your inventory is just full of different crystals. You need to find out what they do, and it's all this very makey uppy world. And I hated playing it. I appreciate everything about the game, but I hated playing it. And I would completely understand if someone said that about Grim Fandango. I would completely get it if they just thought it was like a wonderful world, a brilliant piece of writing. But if they didn't actually enjoy those puzzles, I would completely get it. And for me, that's what the dig is. It's like a great game on paper but to actually play it i kind of hope i never play it again to be honest like, well you know and, and that's all. that's interesting about the genre yeah. of 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 adventure games and point point and click adventure games is from a actual gameplay mechanic you know all of these really are you know go from point a to b pick up something c like I, I the, liked, the I, I moment to, to moment is is really being in the world um, and being with yeah. the characters. Yeah, but I do like the dependability of the, of how linear they can be. I don't think it'd be as fun if they were more open. I like kind of getting into the designer's brain and trying to figure out what they were trying to do, which is why I'm a little bit obsessed with perfecting the genre because I don't think you need to change it that much. I just think you need to, uh, you just need to kind of make them make make them more fun and better to solve. And I think you still have a class genre, but I completely agree with you. I think half or more of half of the reason people play these games is to kind of just sink into them, to sink into your chair, your computer, and just be in these worlds. And I think, yeah, I think we've talked about this before when we did like a long time ago, we did Telltale Games. It's been a long time ago. I'm getting notifications of, oh, a year ago, you made this post and it's about the podcast. I'm like, Jesus Christ, we've been doing this for over a year now. Anyway, it's just weird. Sorry, (laughs) that was just an aside. Yeah. But yeah, over a year ago, we did it on The Walking Dead, and I think we talked about LucasArts Adventure Games. And I do think um, you're right, where like it's not that much of criticism towards Grim Fandango because I think one of the main reasons why you play these games is to just be in them. And in, in terms of that criteria, Grim Fandango is one of the best games ever made. In terms of, like you said, it's so comforting. It's, it, it's such, a, it's well, such a vivid I, world. I actually saw a really, really early interview with Tim Schafer, mm-hmm. and the reporter sat him down. And, you know, even what, 98, gaming is still in its infancy. Gaming, you know, in terms of pushing boundaries of storytelling, you know, it wasn't that, well, what a year for it because you had the Half-Life, you had Orcarina, you had Metal yeah, Gear, yeah. you had this. But the, the reporter had asked them, you know, um, without an understanding probably of video games, it's like, oh, so, you know, what's the next thing? Like with this Grim Fandango, it's like, is it the uh, is it the graphics? Is it the audio? Blah blah blah. And what it was for well, Schaefer's reply 
was no, we want to demonstrate that you can actually tell a sophisticated story. And what hadn't been, you know, kind of done, and you know, Orcarina kind of did it to a certain degree, is a story that takes place over a long period of time, yeah. rather than being uh, isolated of a, you know, sit down, it's one you know, one evening, you know, Metal Gear. Yeah, and with, char- uh, with characters that grow and and different and very diverse locations to be in, you know, and then, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's where, I think that's where the game shines in spades. Mm. It's a... And well, where the, is it? Very ahead of its time. Oh, way, like way ahead of its time. And, you know, uh, Schaefer famously left LucasArts after that and went off to form his own studio, Double Fine. And I think they've, you know, they tried to resurrect that genre um the the i forget broken age is that right that was a few that was a good long while while into their into the studio's existence stuff but yeah they did a kickstarter for a classic point click adventure game broken age which um unfortunately just kind of disappointed everyone it it came out in two halves and the first half was great and the second half was very disappointing yeah i've Mm -hmm. i've you know i played a certain amount of that it's good it's good yeah it's so it's difficult when you kickstart because you have a kind of extra kind of pressure. You feel like you owe fans a certain thing, so it's hard to kind of try something weird. And the second half of that game is weird and very kind of very much the antithesis of what makes a very classic point and click adventure game. And, and people were like, "Why are you experimenting with the genre? We paid you to make the game, you know? Yeah, yeah and that's that's a difficult position to be in, but it, it's worth the play, especially if you're into those games. And if there's fans out there who are obviously into this genre, the answer is yes. I have played Thimbleweed Park. Have I finished it? Of course I haven't. I haven't played Thimbleweed Park. Have you not? No. Nope. It's uh, you know it's almost two things that I uh, that I love. It's like uh, Twin Peaks, um, X Files, yeah. and Monkey Island. Yeah, and that's we said that's May Thimbleweed Park was the return to the genre from the creator of Monkey Island, Ron Gilbert. Now Ron Gilbert is making an actual. Monkey Island game, which I'm so excited for. I also, in terms of, uh, I'm kind of happy when you suggested to do this Grimpton Nango episode because, um, in kind of a cynical way, I don't know if we like we we we. I'm always happy we get views, but we don't tend to get like a lot of views on an episode that's been out for a while. And I don't know if when Monkey Island Six was announced, if um, we availed of some kind of hidden algorithm. But I was like, I noticed people were listening to the Monkey Island Two episode we have. And I was like, well, where are these people? We're getting like a boosted numbers on that episode. You know, did something happen? Because Monkey on 6 might be. So I'm kind of in a kind of <laughs> cynical way, kind of going like, oh, yeah, let's see. If some LucasArts fans jumped onto the podcast through that episode, let's see if they're still hanging around. Maybe we'll get more clicks on a group of mangoes. Watch this backfire entirely. Possibly. But I don't, <laughs> it's, a, it's one of the episodes we want to talk about for ages anyways. I'm not saying, like, just as kind of an insider thing, we could try to, talk about games that are more kind of you know applicable to the times and try to get on algorithms but we generally just own don't we just go like what you want to talk about next time this yeah. this yeah but I, I just want to see if some by the way if you if you did join the podcast through <laughs> through some kind of monkey on algorithm welcome <laughs> fucking monkey island algorithm i don't i just it's just a hypothesis but i did notice it i was like it's actually one of that monkey island episode is suddenly one of our most viewed episodes and it wasn't before really it wasn't like a few months ago yeah so I don't know what happened. Of course, next time we will be talking about your favorite game, The Matrix Path of Neo, um, <laughs> available on PlayStation 
<laughs> I've only ever played one Matrix game, and it was uh, Enter the Matrix. Yeah. Those games were good. Yeah, it's a good laugh. I mean, kind of, kind of a bad way, but it was, it was a good laugh. Yeah. Uh, Liam, closing thoughts on our friends in the land of the dead. You know, Manny, Lola, Meche, Meche, Glotus, um, Chow Chilla Charlie. Uh, it's um, my main thing is that, like, if it's uh, we often talk about story-driven video games. And they often tend to, like, a lot of the best story-driven video games I genuinely believe came out in the last 10 years. Uh, but if uh, if you're really into story-driven video games and you haven't played Grim Fandango, you owe it to yourself, I would recommend engaging with it, but don't get frustrated. If you're properly stuck, look it up. But if you're just going through the game and looking up puzzles... That, you know, it's gonna it's gonna feel more laborious. I think give it a go, give give it a give it a try, but uh, don't get stuck stuck in it. I think a lot of people might not have played this game because you know of the genre it's in, but I think it, it's also one of the best stories I've written for a game with some of the best voice acting and some of the best characters. The voice acting is so good in this game. Oh yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's so way be, way ahead of its time. Oh yeah, and it's just so like it's not just like knee slappingly funny as like a monkey island game or a conqueror's bad fur day or some other whatever games you think of as being really funny but it's also quite funny but it, it, it aims for a bit of mixture of comedy and drama which is also kind of a difference for a lucasarts adventure game i would say even even with this kind of characters dying and, and dying again uh it is one of the more kind of um serious lucasarts adventure games but it is more a comedy i would say certainly but uh which also which also makes it another recommendation if you want to play a genuinely funny game. Grim Fandango is one of the funniest games ever made, I think. Oh, and my parting words are this. Mm-hmm. Just don't do drugs. Don't. Right? You, you, don't you do want drugs. to end up in the land of the dead, kids? <laughs> that's that's one do way drugs. to do it. <laughs> um, I often think about this because my fiancé isn't into video games that much. Mm-hmm. And... If you're looking for a game to sit down with your lover and explore a world together yeah, and have this passive experience and solving puzzles together, I think point and click adventure games are really, really good for that. For sure. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not so, oh, they're not so overly involved from a, uh, the person actually having the controller in their hand because it's so directional anyway. Um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite experiences with a couple of buddies was actually, and I'm a big, big fan of the game. If you haven't played it, Liam, you, sh- you should, because um, it is an evolution of you know of this to a certain degree. But it's a, a PlayStation 4's Until Dawn, um, and that is a really fun game to sit down and and play and have an experience with someone else. And I, I think Grim Fandango is a uh, is that as well. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my girlfriend Fiona on blast here a little bit. But I specifically downloaded Until Dawn because we were looking for games to play together, mm-hmm. not necessarily multiplayer. And own you're spot on. It's the perfect game for that. But my girlfriend's a huge scaredy cat for horror. horror oh, stuff. so is Nisha, yeah. And even something which I think is all borderline parody. And I mean this in a good way, like Until Dawn, which is kind of a prestige slasher, yeah. Like it's parody a... of a slasher. Like I was there. I was playing it just laughing at Remy Ma- Oscar winning Remy Malik's performance in it and she was kind of trying to pretend that she wasn't scared and after a while she was just like I don't want to play it anymore and I was like it's because you're scared and it was it was so I'd love to go back and play that game but I think you're right I think that game is much more fun with um, someone else 
And I think that's such a good shot for Griffin Nango as well. And it, it might be a really palatable, easy way yep. to kind of play that game because it, like, it has some antiquated design philosophy that makes it a little bit frustrating. But you know, with a friend or, like you said, really creepily with a, with a lover, and uh, it could be more fun. Or many lovers can enjoy it together. Like, we don't judge here at Halo. No, we don't. We don't. And Liam, I'll leave you with this. In the current state of the entertainment industry, except for Top Gun, which I'm seeing on Monday and I can't effing wait. In this era of lack of original titles, original games where everything is a reboot or a remaster, just fucking do it, man. Yeah, it still stands as a a, a jewel of originality within this industry. Always will, I think. Just do it. Um, Liam, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. It's been a while. I I look forward to our next one. Don't be a stranger. I won't be a stranger <laughs> unless it's stranger danger. Oh my God. Um, I look forward to our next chat. Um, who knows when that might be? <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll see when Marcy is back from his safari. If yeah. you know what we're actually hoping not to apply any pressure to him or Sony, but uh, we'll do it for sure. Is that when uh, PlayStation are releasing their new tiered subscription service. And my hope is that metal gear solid four is actually part of, of that because I, I still continue. feel like I still yeah, we reached, feel we like it, Liam. We reached episode 30 and we didn't do a Metal Gear because I don't know. I don't know. I think we all love we love the first video game. I love Metal Gear. I love preservation. <laughs> preservation. Yeah, that'd be a good topic. I love Metal Gear Solid 4, but I'm not quite as passionate about it as the other three. But I think we, if there's a kind of an ongoing thing we have, I think we need to cover all five Metal Gear Solid games eventually. Of course. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Hideo Kojima, big fan of the podcast. I'm currently reading your book, Hideo, The Creative Gene. Um, why, very why good. He's not listening. You never know. Not after what I tweeted about him. Never know. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in once again. If you are a new listener, welcome. This is a safe space. It's a humble space. It's a relaxing space. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it. You know, it goes a long way. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Do some snail mail. Write down the name of the podcast. Just, you know, mail it to to, to somebody in a different country. Help well, spread the word. So that's why I need you to come back, you know, with these, like, innovative ideas. How to spread our brand. I have been Owner Reardon. <laughs> I'm Liam Sheen. Until next time, folks. Thank you once again. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.